Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Coach Speak. I'm Matt Seidel, along with fellow hosts Derek Seidel and Josh Trope. This episode is brought to you by Monroe Sports Varsity Athletic, a quick turnaround, high-quality business for more than 30 years. Contact Randy or Kim Windham at 734-652-0720 for a great deal in your next purchase of sporting apparel. Today's guest is Josh Pickens, the head men's basketball coach at Lawrence Tech University. Coach Pickens is entering his fifth season with the NAIA Blue Devils. Prior to that, he spent five years as an assistant at Ashford University in Iowa and two more as an assistant at Midland University in Nebraska, reaching the NAIA Division II National Tournament four times. Today, Coach Pickens breaks down some of the options in his Princeton-like offense and covers the principles of his program's man-to-man defense. Also, during our shot clock segment, he identifies his favorite small college venue and his go-to restaurants in the Southfield area. So, without further ado, here is Coach Josh Pickens. Coach Pickens, your presence on this podcast is long overdue. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me. Like I said, I'm only doing this for the free T-shirt. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I've been listening to your other guests. I'm super excited to uh, come on and see if I can share a little bit. Don't mention T-shirts. I think we still owe a few few coaches <laughs> to, uh, to showcase a couple of shirts. But anyway, let's get right into it. Uh, we want to start by delving into uh, LTU's version of, uh, for lack of a better term, the uh, the Princeton offense. Um, you know, we've had a chance to study it. Uh, you guys a little bit recently, and, and there are definitely some interesting parts the way you guys are running offense right now. Um, but before we get into, I guess, specifics, can you talk to us a little bit about how your offensive philosophy has evolved since you've come to Lawrence Tech four years ago and, and, and kind of where you are now and what's the rationale behind it? For sure. Um, you know, I think the first thing you do um, as a coach when you take over is an assessment of your team. Um, and, you know, you kind of see what you got. Um, the next thing you do is kind of see uh, who your best players are and how they score well. Um, and then I think this third decision you want to make is do you want to be set based or concept based? So um, through that assessment and evaluation the first year, um, we started off that 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 first part of that season being uh, Derek knows this being uh, kind of heavy set based. Uh, we wanted to get the guys the ball in certain positions. Um, and I remember uh, <laughs> there were some games where our point guard would come up to me and we, we'd gone through our playbook in like the first eight, nine, 10 possessions. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so uh, you know, we were kind of first option, second option. Um, if we didn't get something off of that, we would get the shot clock, which is the high ball screen. And it was a really, a, really a struggle to score. Um, the second half of that year, uh, we started playing Alec Ivanovic, who was about a 6'5", 6'6", um, kind of hybrid 4'5". Uh, really shoots it, not a traditional back-to-the-basket guy. He really started to emerge. And uh, when he started to play well, we threw him in there and started him at the five. But, of course, we couldn't you know, play traditional smash mouth, throw it inside basketball. So I don't know if Derek remembers this or not, but we came up with a continuity. I think we called it like ruffle. Um, we had played Central Michigan. Somehow uh, we were in the game um, after the first or second media timeout. Um, and we kind of stole some concepts for them. It was kind of some shuffle cut, single, single, just face the floor, interchangeable parts, um, you know, just more of a flow and concept based. And so uh, we evolved that. Uh, we took some of that and evolved that into some kind of some pin downs and uh, gave our point guard some space. And I thought we became more fluid the second half of that year. 
Uh, flash forward to, uh, I think, 18-19 season with uh, Ty Searles coming back, averaging about, I think he averaged 16 or 17 his first year. We wanted to figure out how to get him the ball in space. And that's where uh, we came up with kind of some Princeton concepts. Coaching in the GPAC conference, NAIA out there in the Iowa, Nebraska area, ton of teams ran that. Um, Nebraska Wesleyan is one team. Um, Briar Cliff is one team. We really liked the pace they played with, uh, the fluidity, um, kind of the free flowing that they played with, but it was still controlled. And so we adopted a little bit of that um, and then adapted it to our style and, uh, you know, kind of build on it from there. Coach, what we really wanted to focus on today with that is um, you know, what I would say, you, you guys really do more than any other Princeton, I guess, team that, that I've watched is you guys really use the high post a ton. Um, again, that'd be kind of what in the, you know, in the Princeton terminology, they consider the point series. So you guys love to, to get to that. Obviously you have Alec playing out of there as well as, you know, Gunnar Gustafson in the last couple of years, I guess really just focusing on what you guys do once the ball gets there. Like what are the, what are your main options once you feed the high post? Yeah. And that all depends. And so like any, any, scientific question right the answer always comes down to it It depends and so what we want to do is get the ball in our best decision makers hands and right now that happens to be gunner or or our point guard brandon beaver so bringing gunner up to that mid post area uh, that elbow area to that point series fits us if we didn't have a guy who could make decisions from there we wouldn't do it as much but that that fits us so uh once it enters there we have a ton of calls it's tough to go through at probably 30 different calls or 30 different reads. Um, but once it gets there, we want to get to a split screen, right? Where you can go over or away and two guys are coming together and making decisions from there, right? Now with a good passer at that, at that position, you can either hit them on a back cut uh, or what we get a lot of is hitting our pop back guy, right? And then creating a closeout and making a decision from there. Um, from that point, you can get into a DHO, a ball screen or something like that. Uh, but without video, right, it's kind of tough to to explain with it being so many options. But those are the things right there, the three things we're looking for, is either a, a back cut, uh, a pop back, or DHO, or, or a ball screen. And so um, putting our best decision maker there, you put – I mean, it's almost like your point guard. Um, having our five guy, I think I think our point guard averaged five assists this year and our five-man averaged four and a half. Um, so you really need to have a good decision maker there to kind of play – uh, the way that we're trying to play. And the reason we play that way is because Gunner's more of a, you know, kind of a hybrid guy. He doesn't shoot it that great from there, uh, but he's more of a better decision maker than he is a back to the basket player. So um, what we're trying to do is find a good shot. You know, that's, you know, close twos, um, assisted threes, offensive rebounds, getting to the free throw line. Uh, and, and with the exceptions, you know, a few exceptions is, you know, if you got a guy who's got it going and Derek, as you know, we'll give him the green light, take a couple tough ones. Uh, but that's what we're trying to do is, is close to which are layups or post up um, assisted threes um, and, 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 you know, free throws and putbacks. Coach, I, I know it's tough to, um, to visualize, as you said, like with all the options and things like that. But one of the questions I have is, so it sounds like a lot of three on three, a lot of breakdown stuff, maybe some single side t- type stuff. Is that how you build it, it through your practices? For sure. We teach it as a whole at first. And, you know, what, what we say sometimes is, be simple, but look complex. And sometimes then you watch it, our freshmen come in and they're like, well, what's going on? <laughs> but once you really get into it and like you said, break it down, um, it's not a ton going on. So to answer your question, we'll teach it as a whole. We'll show it 
um, five on five. And then it's a ton of three on three, four on four, um, you know, whether it's breakdown or what we found is now you're just adding a coach in there as a defender. Uh, so now they got to make decisions, right? So it, there is some value, a ton of value in dry run it or doing it five on O, three on O, four on O. But when we add that coach in there to make a decision, um, when they have to make a decision, that adds a ton of value. So, you know, if we're playing high in the gap, they know, okay, instead of popping back, I need to back cut, right? If we're low, um, they know when I get this DHO, I can stop directly behind it and get a shot instead of just coming off and meeting them on the other side. So, uh, we break it. We, we teach it as a whole. We do a ton of breakdown, but just adding that one defender or two defenders in there uh, really helps these guys uh, in, in their ability to make decisions. You mentioned calls, coach. Um, you know, watch, yeah. watching just watching a little bit of videotape, you guys, it's really like it would be a nightmare, at least uh, for a high school coach like myself, try to scout that stuff and try to uh, and, and explain and then try to translate it to your team to get them ready to play against it. But are you guys, are, are there calls being made on a regular basis and they're going into that action or is it all predicated on, uh, you know, where, where the pass comes from or where the, the guard cuts? Uh, how does that all work? Sure. Uh, both, I would say. Uh, so the best thing that has happened to us, um, I don't know where we came up with this at, but, you know, we're, say we get a, off a defensive rebound, rather, we're pushing in transition. Um, once we have nothing, instead of pulling it out, saying set it up or calling a set, we just have a call. And it's usually a color, red, blue, whatever. And then we get into our flow. That initiates kind of our offense. So uh, we work a ton on that. And we'll just, we'll put four guys in each corner, put our five in a random spot. And we call our color, whatever our call is, our default. Um, and we get in our alignment very quickly. Um, after that, and uh, if it's not a dead ball, if it's just live free flow and stuff, after that, it's all reads. The point guard makes the read. Uh, once he enters, or throws it's three or four different entries, but once he enters, his cut dictates the next action. Um, and so, what we try to do is be pretty tough to scout. Um, as it, within anything, you can become predictable. Um, so we got to remind our guys, like, hey, there's 30 options here. You know, <laughs> don't do the same two or three every single time. Uh, but to answer your question, yeah, it's, it's it, we have a default call, which has been really good for us. And off that default, there's five to six different cuts that have like close to 30 different options. So. Um, it's all predicated on what the point guard does. Um, and when it's free flowing now, when it's a dead ball or a walk-up situation, uh, we do have a ton of calls and what we found is we've had some fun with it and it would be very tough to scout and understand what we're saying. Like we, just to give you an example, you know, we call a skip pass a Bayless like Skip Bayless, right? And our guys think we're just doing something cool and creating this cool language. And I don't care what anything is called as long as everyone on the court understands it, right? So we'll put in a new set or a new option. They all want to name it. So we think that that part's been fun. Like language kind of creates this, like they think it's theirs. You know, I think it's, it's exclusive. We're doing some exclusive thing and creates a little bit more buy-in to what we're doing too. I would say, I know you guys didn't ask, but I would say uh, the biggest part, even though we have these options and, these alignments, the biggest part is getting our guys to buy in into cutting, even when they're not getting the ball. Um, and we tell them, you know, you need to cut to score twice or get two shots on every cut. Uh, your first cut is to the rim. Uh, and then your second cut, you got to be just as explosive getting out to the three-point line to create our space. And we have a really good point guard who he's in the lane and the ball is coming to you before you can even see it. So uh, we've gotten our guys to really buy into cutting hard, even when they don't get the basketball. 
Uh, one thing we try to chart, uh, you know, we don't have a ton of staff, but one thing we try to chart is how many times you get someone open off your cut. So, for example, uh, we come together on those split cuts. If that guy receiving the screen decides to back cut, he can take two with him. You know, we, we, we reward that. We applaud that uh, because then the guy's popping back is getting a wide open look. And it doesn't show up in the stat sheet. It's not an assist. And, you know, a casual fan might not notice it. But, you know, good coaches, coaches like yourselves would notice that. So we really put a ton of value and reward like hard cutting, consistent cutting. And, and we think that's our advantage. You know, we. Uh, you know, we have some talented guys. We have we have guys who can play, uh, but we don't think we're ever going to out talent you. We want to out team you. And so, you know, buying into cutting um, and buying into being unselfish and space in the floor, you know, we think that gives us the best chance to to go out there and compete. Oh, I, I have a question. Um, you, you're talking a lot about back cuts and and taking two with you, and, and all that makes a ton of sense to me. So, do teams that play pack line and play softer man to man, do they give you more of a problem than teams that play? aggressive man-to-man um and then before you answer that just for the record matt would never play you man-to-man or prepare his players <laughs> so that if he had to deal with you he'd just sit in his own i can tell you that already <laughs> well it, it, that, that's funny because uh the way we play it promotes great ball movement so when we do see zone our guys are already used to you know sharing the ball we're not ball screen heavy we don't pound it a ton and honestly i i would love to have you know five to six LeBron James is out there who can just get in gaps at will, but we, you know, we just don't have that. So uh, once teams do go to zone, uh, you know, we do a good job of, of still moving it. So uh, I forgot your question, coach. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that, that's okay. Um, hey, yeah. What teams give you more problems? Oh, gotcha. um, teams that play soft man-to-man like pack line man-to-man or aggressive man-to-man. Yeah. I honestly, I would say uh, more of the pack line teams. Uh, and so, the on-the-ball pressure, um, since we have a really good point guard, doesn't really bother us. Like the, the once we get the ball up the floor, the initial on-the-ball pressure, we welcome that, right? Because then we can cut you and and and, and space you and then really get what we want. Um, pack line teams, and so I'll, I'll throw out a name, a guy you should have on the podcast, Clint Pleasant. Uh, his team has done a great job at Rochester. They're, they'll be pack line, but then on our cuts, they're really physical on cuts, um, whether you're setting the screen, using the screen, back cut and curl cut and whatever, they're really physical at the point of that. So I would say more of those physical pack line teams gives us, give us trouble, uh, but that's been a summer assignment. Um, some of that's just getting tougher ourselves, but a lot of that is also kind of having different options there. So instead of some down screens, maybe we set some, some flare screens and, uh, you know, more dribble drive actions, clearing some space. Uh, and things like that. But I would say, you know, the pack line physical teams, the traditional, you know, Dick Bennett, Wisconsin teams will give us more trouble than the, the ball pressure team. Now, the thing that gives us the most trouble is good players. So uh, we, we don't like to play against those guys. <laughs> Coach, you talked a little bit about you guys flowing into it. I'm curious, what yeah. what is your rule, especially for the big? Obviously, your, your four perimeter guys are running wide to space, but what is your guys' rule for your big, the guy who traditionally ends up in that high post? Because you guys do flow into things really quickly. Like, is he is he rim running? Is he running to the, uh, you know, trailing to the top of the key, running right to that elbow? Uh, what do you guys usually teach? Yeah, um, and I I love to say that, you know, we do a great job of teaching, but uh, our big, uh, our, our starting five, and, you know, our backup too, but our starting five is extremely intelligent. So the things that we've come up with, just based on things he naturally does. Um, so on a miss, if he's ahead of it, you know, obviously we want him to go rim run. Let's see if you can get, you know, use his mobility, see if he can get something in transition early. 
Um, if he doesn't get it, again, he's not a super physical back-to-the-basket guy, but we want him to occupy ball side block. Um, so if he doesn't get it and he's posting on – he's low, we have a call for that, right? If he's down on the block posting, we have a call for that. We have a different flow. If it's a if it's a miss and he gets the rebound and he's trailing, we'll start with either a drag ball screen or we got a, a five out continuity um, or five out quick option um, that we'll run to. Every make um, is his choice. So typically, what he does is what any kid would do is take the shorter route and run to the high post <laughs> on a make. And so those guys are really good. I, I'd love to take credit for, it, but we have really intelligent point guard and five. They're really good at reading one another. Uh, so once our point guard see he's stopping there, he knows exactly what to get into. And we start a lot of our actions um, with handoffs. Um, so if he recognizes that he's high, then we'll initiate that action with a handoff. If we recognize that he's low, we'll initiate that action with a pass. Um, and then it's pass and a cutaway. Uh, so, again, it's tough to explain with no video. Uh, but to answer your question, yeah, there's three different options. Um, and then we just kind of gravitate towards what he does best naturally. Um, I think one of the mistake, one of the many mistakes um, I made as a dumb coach is uh, trying to, uh, you know, just kind of dictate a lot uh, versus letting the guys tell us what we should do. And I think the second half of that first year uh, really showed us that, like, you know, what do we do well? What do we naturally do well? And then trying to build off of that. Yeah, I, I would just say that the only thing that, um, you know, we – I appreciate all the compliments. Uh, you know, I think our guys work really hard to to try to execute what we want and space the floor and cut hard. But I think the one thing that we can hang our hats on being good at is our ability to improve. Like, that's the one thing we tell our guys we want to be good at. Like, if we can assess um, and find a weakness and get better, um, and that's, that's really what we want to hang our hats on. And, you know, shots come and go um, as, as usual. Sometimes you can't get a stop. Uh, but the ability uh, to watch that tape the next day or to come in a timeout or halftime and understand where we need to get better and improve from there, I think is something we really want to hang our hats on. I can speak to that, uh, that improvement as well. Just watching, watching the full season. That was your first year coach when uh, you had to, you had to deal with Derek out there and, and had play, playing him 30 minutes a game, man. That was, that was smoking mirrors out there, but uh, that, that he's team, a competitor though. Yeah, that team from day one to the end, and the record may not have showed it, but that team just got better and better. It kind of leads us to our, our next topic, which, um, you know, man-to-man -man, uh, defense. And really just want to kind of pick your brain about a bunch of things. We haven't had a chance to do this with a coach yet. And, again, uh, again, my observations, year one, you know, I, I know my son. My son was never a, a, a good defensive player. And, and he can blame me for that. I, it wasn't, you know, hey, I'm, you know, uh, we didn't worry about that in youth basketball. But he became a respectable defender his senior year. And uh, I don't think he had a choice, by the way, but he became a respectable <laughs> defender. And that, and that, you know, that's, an, that's a tribute to you. Uh, and I watched your team evolve that year uh, into a kind of a sound defensive team for the, the personnel that you had. So what, what is the core? What are the core principles, I guess? Let's start there, of your man-to-man -man defense. Uh, there, there's no secrets here, and I'm not even going to try to give you the list of these things. That I mean, it's just pure. First, our first philosophy is that everyone can defend, right? Not at the same level, but everyone can defend. And uh, Derek really bought into that um, and became, like you said, I would say 
a little bit better than respectable. I think he was a good defender at times too. And uh, <laughs> and I really appreciate that about him buying in and understanding that, that you know, he could do more. Um, and he's a great example. We use him all the time, especially when we're talking defense and like, you know, hey, some of you guys, no offense there, some of you guys like would destroy Derek in a foot race. You have more physical tools than he had and he became a pretty solid defender. Um, and so the first thing is everyone is a defender. Everyone can do it. Everyone, you know, we all have limitations, but if we have the right mindset, the right toughness, the right grit, um, we can all do it. Um, the, the, the 1A, 1B would probably be just keep the ball in front. Like that is, you know, that's what we simplified it to. Like, all these rules we had, let's keep the ball in front. Now, next question is usually, do you influence middle? Do you influence baseline? I'm starting not to care. Uh, now, we don't want to give up baseline. Uh, you know, we want to influence middle. We don't want to give a baseline, but just being able to guard your yard. And we work on it a ton. We still play one-on-one -on -one a ton. Uh, we still play two-on-two -two in space, three-on-three, -three, um, just really sitting down and guard your yard. Um, from a pressure standpoint, uh, I think with, you know, well, I, I, coming in here, uh, we always had a pretty athletic teams. So we could be an arm length. We can climb into you and really, um, you know, bother you. I think once I got here, uh, you know, we had different personnel. We'd be an arm length or an arm and a half off, just containing the basketball, keep it in front of us. Off the ball, we're more of a pack line and gap defensive team. And you know, to simplify that, we want to make keep the ball out of the paint, right? So if I'm one pass away, obviously, you know, if the ball's on the wing, I'm on the nail, right? I don't, I'm not allowing the ball in the paint in case he does get beat. Um, and we want to run guys off the three-point line. So once I help, it's kicked out. I recover. We got you off the three-point line not allowing you inside the charge circle, making you take a tough two. Um, that's how we simplified it. I think Derek probably has a list of about a thousand rules we had back when he was playing for us. Well, that's how much we simplified it on the defensive end. Don't care how you do it, keep the ball in front. In the event you get beat, that guy one pass away, you got to be there to stunt and recover. Once you recover, we, we're not giving lights out shooters, just catch and shoot threes, let's get them off the line without a blow by um, and keep them out of the paint. So that's been successful for us. Uh, we started off this past year I think midway through uh, this crazy season, uh, we were top three in the conference um, in all the defensive numbers that mattered to us, uh, which is, you know, defensive three-point field goal percentage, uh, defensive points per game. Um, and I don't think we were not a great rebounding team. That's one area we need to address. But we were top three uh, in all those categories. And then, you know, we weren't. <laughs> um, so I think we lost our toughness. Uh, that's, that's on me uh, as a coach. But those are just the, the things we want to do. Keep the ball out of the paint. Um, keep the ball in front rather, you know, keep the ball out of the paint, just force tough twos. So uh, that's been successful to us to simplify it. Uh, like I talked about before this podcast, I'm probably dumb uh, for not playing a little bit more zone. Uh, we definitely need to incorporate that in, but um, I'm just a firm believer that, you know, just growing up as, you know, five foot seven, fairly athletic, um, I was able to do a lot of things, you know, with limited tools. And so I'm just a firm believer that we all, if we dig a little bit more, we're all better at something than we think we are. We all think we're better offensive players than we are. So we should think we're better defensive players than we are too. Right. <laughs> Coach, I, I, you know, again, going back to when I was there, the, you know, one-on-ones and two-on-twos was like, you know, every single day, sometimes it was, it went on for an hour just because we weren't meeting the expectation there. So I'm curious yeah. if you guys still use that. If you do, if you could explain kind of what your, your, your primary, reason for using those things to build the defense were and if you do something different what is it that you do now yeah 
uh, we probably don't spend an hour on it anymore because uh, we got to get to some offensive stuff now. <laughs> but uh, honestly, it's just old school, roll the ball out, and, and, and we're playing one-on-one. Now, we want our closeout to be right. I won't get into specifics of closeouts. We want to be, you know, arm length away or an arm and a half, depending on athletic ability, you know, hip-to-hip, squared up, butt to the basket. But after that, yard to yard. Um, and the reason we do it is because everyone should be able to score in one-on-one. Right. So the offense has the advantage and we want to make it really, really hard for the defense uh, to be out there alone, pretty much on an island. And you have to find a way to get a stop. I think the other thing that does is we're all on one room. And so, you know, it's not like we're at three baskets divided up. And so we may get a few less reps, but now your teammates are watching. And so there's a certain level of accountability that comes with that. You can't just bail out. uh, You can't just give up. You can go right back and you got you got your teammates there to cheer you on, but also hold you to a standard. Like, hey, man, we need you. Right? So same philosophy with two-on-two. Uh, it's a lot more space. Uh, we want to be able to guard in space. And we try to play, you know, one pass away. But, you know, once the offense gets it, it just turns into, uh, you you know, dribble all over. So um, with that we've we've been successful with that, too. Uh, just same deal. Just being able to guard the yard. It, it's a lot tougher to defend with just two guys on the floor um, than it is five-on-five. So uh, just to make it harder. Coach, how do you guys uh, guard the posters? Is, does that change game to game or by opponent? How do you handle that? Yeah, uh, right now we're three-quarter. Um, well, I take that back. If we're playing a team uh, who has guys who are pretty good in the post, uh, who score well back to the basket, uh, we're three-quarter, um, forcing them out, just not getting primary post position. We want to force them right off that lane line, um, kind of what we say to the 15-foot area, 12 to 15-foot area in the volleyball. Uh, if we're playing against a post guy who's not too much of a threat back to the basket, we don't let them bury us in the paint, but we do play behind. And that's just to keep us out of rotation and things like that. But once the ball's caught, because you can work all you want about not letting it get in there, uh, but once the ball's caught, uh, we want all of our guards, our perimeter players, in what we call dig position. Um, and so uh, we used to be a little bit heavier uh, when Derek played with us on really sitting in help side and not allowing that pass in a lob over the top but you know now teams are so good at skipping it over the top and and, and knocking down threes um so we do a good job of we've done a good job of three quartering on the high side um and once the ball's entered our, our our five man falling back behind and then all of our guards getting in big position and depending on the matchup on the second dribble we want to get it out of there uh but if it's just you know a guy who we think it's a neutral matchup or an even matchup uh, you know, we just want to show dig and show them a crowd and make it difficult on them that way. So, uh, like I said, we're pretty simple um, on the defensive end, on both sides of the ball. Uh, but just with that grit and that toughness is, is just what we want to play with. Um, the biggest thing for us, <laughs> Derek can also attest to this too, is just, just just rebounding and more so just checking out. And, and, you know, that's been – we haven't been a good rebounding team the last two years, um, and I think that's something that we can improve on and, and – uh, are you a, are you a blockout guy, or you just go get it? Uh, what, what's what's the philosophy now? Because there's a lot of different philosophies out there now. Would would love to just go get it. I would love to have you know six eight jumping jacks that can just. <laughs> I think I, our, our rule. I think I've only said this a few times because no one can do it. If you can rebound at twelve feet, you don't have to check out. I don't think we got many guys that can rebound at twelve feet. So we got to block out. We just form in the chest, you know, hit and go get. Um, yeah. And so again, you know, it, there's like anything, there's certain games where you really you know, keep them our guys or our, our opponents off the glass and there's other games where we just don't do a good job of it. So that'll always be a core part of us. I think that's one of the five things that 
impacts winning every single night. That takes no talent to do. Just rebounding or checking out, rather, takes no talent to do. Um, and so we'll always harp on that. And uh, if you can't do it, then you know how that goes. You just can't can't play. But you know, we, we try extremely hard. We work extremely hard to be a good rebounding team. Based on your post-defensive philosophy, I, I assume you guys are switching one through four, but not five then? One through four, yeah. If we could switch one through five, uh, certain some games we do. Uh, when it, when we downsize, by downsize, have a more, more of a mobile five man, uh, we will. Um, and then at that point, it's a dead front post. Good co- good question, coach. Um, if our perimeter guys get caught on a guy who you know has a size advantage, we we just dead front and then bring our help from the backside. So, um, but I would love to have a team that switches one through five. Um, we're getting there. Um, I think we're getting you know, with our young guys. Uh, but, you know, right now we're just not, not as gifted. You guys have a wing ball screen coverage of choice, uh, which, you're, which you're commonly in in that situation? Yeah, uh, and that kind of goes back to Coach Trope's question. Like, my the, the ideal choice for us would be to switch everything, but obviously due to matchups and things like that, you just can't. So uh, we play more of a low help. Um, you know, we're foot to foot. Um, our, our foot our, our foot is on the uh, screener's back foot as the hedge guy. Um, and we want to not allow the roll to get behind us and keep the ball in front. And, and so our guard is getting over the top, depending on matchup, um, getting over the top nine times out of 10. And we're giving up kind of that contested mid-range. Now, we always, we always have to define that. <laughs> now, what contested is and what uncontested is. You can't get blown up and just give them a, just a nail jump shot. But as long as you got a hand there and our big is still a presence, we're okay giving up that shot. And uh, I would love to hedge, but I just, as Derek knows, we like to stay out of rotation as much as possible. Um, and same deal with trapping, too. I, I don't think – I think it would harm us more than it would benefit us due to our athletic, our, our athleticism at this point. So uh, switching would be ideal, but right now we're more of a flat hedge or, or a low help type team. Coach, we now move to our, uh, our shot clock segment. Uh, and the way that works, uh, it, it's, about, it's, it's part of our campaign, as I explain often. To, uh, to bring the shot clock to Michigan high school basketball. Uh, there's an opportunity for that in 2022-23. We want to make sure the MHSA uh, keeps hearing us. So that's why we named this the shot clock segment. You have 35 seconds to answer uh, the following. We have five questions for you. Um, and a horn may or may not go off at 35. So uh, you will not get a countdown either. So anyway, you, you're in total control of the response. You, you do what you need to do. But uh, let's uh, let's get started. You're on the clock. Let's there. do it. You're first. All right. So first question, Coach. So what is your go-to restaurant in or around the Southfield area? I know you're at least a couple of years back, you were very into the uh, you know healthy food choices. So I don't know if there's a good option ever. What, what would that be for you? Oh, man. Um, I need more than 35 seconds just for this question alone. Uh, go-to spot, well, it depends. Like, if it's just something quick, I'll go to Zoop. Um, you know, they have good soups and salads. Uh, I sound like a prima donna here. But my second favorite is Beyond and then Poke Poke. So I just named three spots. Uh, <laughs> Beyond Eatery and Juicery, Poke Poke, both on Evergreen. And there's a Zoop on Evergreen, too, but the one on Northwestern is way better. We take the troops there a lot, too. So those are the three. All right. Nice. Um, when is your preferred time of day to practice and why? So my preferred time would be 6 a.m. That way we got the rest of the day to get out and go recruiting. Uh, but that doesn't always work for the guys. So I'm an early bird. Like Derek said, I'm, I'm up probably. My alarm goes up at 4, 4.30 every day. 
Um, I'm working out, try to eat healthy, trying to live for a, a long, healthy life. Uh, so I would prefer 6 a.m. But that doesn't work for the guys. So we don't do that. <laughs> I, I want to I just want to point out I we 6 a.m. was if we got 6 a.m. We were happy because usually I swear we started a practice at 430 a.m. one time. But anyways, in my in my in my defense, I did not know what the class schedule and gym schedule was like here. So uh, shout out to Coach Kai, but she handed me a schedule when I first started. Say, all right, here's our practice schedule, and that we we were screwed. We didn't have time, so we had to do it. Sorry, Derek. No, I get it. it the The best part of it is just listening to Derek and his roommates talk about that they'll stroll into practice half dead for a 5 6 o'clock practice and you're coming out of the weight rooms all, all worked up. You'd already worked out for an hour that morning. So that's, that's just crazy. But anyway, Hey uh, coach, other than uh, Don Riddler Fieldhouse and their lovely wooden bleachers that I have sat in many times, uh, what is your favorite small college venue? Oh, that's really tough. Um, we've been in some great environments. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to, live in Nebraska. <laughs> uh, um, but there have been, there's this place, uh, 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 Dakota Wesleyan uh, University has this place called the Corn Palace. Now, I'm not a guy that would actually ever go to a Corn Palace as a historical venue, uh, but for a basketball game, that's a pretty cool place to host a game. Um, those fans get crazy. Um, those students get crazy. Uh, I've never been to Hope or Calvin, um, but I hear those both of those spots are pretty nice too. Uh, but I would have to go, oh, man, I guess I got to go with the Corn Palace. And, right. and, uh, the other one would be, uh, you probably never heard of St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. When I was a student and a coach at Asher University, that was our rival. So it got pretty crazy in there, too. Coach, my next question. So, again, being from Illinois, um, you know, I don't know how much of a Bulls fan you consider yourself to be, but, you know, at least they're your hometown team. What, what do you think about their free agent signings? And they've gone out and got Lonzo. Caruso and then they the sign and trade for DeMar DeRozan just to give you an example how big of a Bulls fan I was at the year they went 72 and 10 I cried eight of the 10 losses so uh, as a 10 as a year old I cried eight of those 10 losses so um, I, I think they're good pickups uh, just being completely transparent I was not super excited about the DeRozan pickup uh, just because I think he's kind of an older star uh, he might I don't know if he would mesh well with Levine their games are you know, DeMar's more of a mid-range. He operates in that mid-post area. And, and, and Levine's kind of, you know, he shoots the three ball, but he's kind of an ISO guy in that area too. So we'll see. Uh, but uh, I am excited we made some moves. So that's something I can brag about. I know the Pistons got the number one pick, but I still think we got bragging rights over the Pistons. And that's one thing I've noticed. So I lived in Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, and Michigan. And this is the only place uh, that I don't think shows Michael Jordan the appreciation he deserves, which I, I understand. <laughs> The bad boy era, I, I, I get it, you know, I, I, I get it. But, no, I was a, I'm not as crazy as I was as a kid, but I'm still a big Bulls fan. So, I think uh, Lonzo, I think, is the most needed addition as a point guard. Uh, Caruso is just tough. I love him. Um, and then, you know, DeRozan will help bring another star there. But I, I was kind of iffy on that. So, we'll see. Coach, I think you love Caruso because you got some guys in your program that probably have better foot speed than him right now. So, um, <laughs> probably better foot speed. He's, he's an athlete, though. He, he can get up, though. Yeah, he can. He can. Hey, Coach, the last question. When using the film room, do you focus more on watching your own team or watching upcoming opponents? Definitely our own team. Um, and even more so now, uh, you know, just you again, you go with your, what your guys do well. And so um, I noticed one time, I think it was our, our second year here. 
you know, we scouted a team, had all their calls, all their sets, and we went out there and I called a set for our team and we didn't know it. So I'm like, all right, what good is it knowing our opponent's stuff if we don't know our own? So we really, really focus on us. Obviously, we don't neglect the opponent. We know their tendencies. We know where their best players like the ball and what they run. We'll always be prepared, but I think focusing on us um, and what we do and trying to get our stuff right is, is of the most importance. And so basketball, we've spent a ton of our time for sure. Got a couple questions for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Either, either of you three, uh, how much time do you guys spend on skill work um, in practice? For, for me, at, we, we spend probably 25 minutes on average. I probably don't, I don't vary it as much as I would like. I'm, my goal this year is to try and have some, some more different things that we can go to. Uh, we, we usually practice for about two hours. And I spend about 25 minutes on it. Last year, I probably spent more time than I ever have. And, and I think it's, it was because we just never knew when we were going to start. So I got in that habit early in the year and we stuck with it. Um, and I really thought it paid dividends. I thought we shot it really well last year. With the first 20 minutes every day has always been skill work. But I, I would say we probably did another 15 to 20 minutes throughout the practice. Um, we, we added shooting drills throughout the practice as well. So I, I would say last year, 35 minutes a day. And, and I, I'll probably stay with that moving forward. And we're about the, we were about the same last year too. And I had I, part of it was we were really young and and we we had no foundation to start the year either. So you felt like you had to do that stuff. You couldn't just get after the team stuff. But um, it seems like about a you know we typically go ninety minutes. I don't know about you guys. I'm too old to go more than ninety minutes. Once we get going, I, I can't concentrate anymore. But about about thirty, I'd say thirty to thirty five minutes. And we don't do it all at the beginning. We try to mix it in a little bit. I, that, that seems to work best for our guys, but. So. Right. And that, that we found that too, like instead of putting 10 minutes on it, we're shooting, we'll, we'll, we'll do a live segment and then come back to some shooting stuff yeah. or some skill yeah. stuff or some, some finishing stuff. But to your point, coach Trope, um, I guess my next question would be, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interview guys. I got to learn something too. <laughs> uh, but is it, uh, COVID and you mentioned, cause you didn't know where you're going to start as this are all three of you Has COVID taught you anything or have you learned anything from the COVID year and practices that you'll do care? Uh, going forward uh, because for me I kind of learned like maybe we don't need to practice as long or as hard every single day maybe we could have more mental days or skill days or things like that I think the two things that I would take away from the COVID year is one I'll never use a whistle again because we couldn't last year and I got used to not using it so I'll never go back to it and then the other one in and this is kind of what you just talked about I spent more time meeting and talking with my guys than I ever had before because I was just constantly trying to check in with them to make sure they're okay. Um, I think I'll continue to do that moving forward. And the only thing I got uh, it was different is um, <clears throat> our kid. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize how much like this, the, the team part actually means to the kids. Sometimes I always thought it was just the sport, just the basketball, just the chance to win this or win that, but they, they really missed each other. Like that, that's the part that uh, they, I think had the hardest time with. And, and, and probably enjoyed the most last year. I don't, I don't think they'll ever take being on a team again for granted, you know, and I think just team dynamics, I think are easier to point out, you know, to them. I mean, you know, you take this thing can go away tomorrow, any day, we could be shut down and we know even coming this winter, we're all getting a little bit of worried about it again. But Ooh, I thought that I think it just it made it easier to get kids attention. I think they're learned a little bit about them in terms of what's important to them too. So. No, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. You know, when we, we didn't have a summer last year. Um, and then when our guys got to campus, 
they were like excited to do outdoor weight room workouts. Yeah. I'm like, man, can we can we can we bottle this enthusiasm up <laughs> um, and, and, and you know keep it throughout us throughout the season? But no, I, I think I think the biggest thing you know throughout the my experience from our first year to now, COVID, anything is like you know just don't take simple for granted. Um, you know, don't get bored with simple. Don't get bored with the basics, and just hammer home those things. I know we talked a little bit about kind of our offense system, Princeton offense. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, we we work more on our feet when we catch the ball, um, how to stop, how to start, you know, how to cut, how to set up our cut, um, you know, what to do once you get below the foul line, pick up your dribble, developing, um, you know, some protection plans and things like that. We spend more time on that, those individual things, than we actually do with our system because you, you can run whatever you want, but if your kid's don't do those other things well and you know nothing's gonna right. work so um, yeah just don't get bored with simple don't get bored with the basics that's been kind of the, the biggest thing for us throughout these years all right coach that, that was fun I uh, really appreciate you uh joining us today I know I owe you a t-shirt make sure you just text Derek your size we'll, we'll get you we'll get you some swag and uh if my LTU stuff doesn't fit me anymore I may be reaching out to you for for some uh for some blue devil gear but again really appreciate you coming on long overdue thanks again for sure. Thanks.